When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. Welcome to the Project Upland Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting. We plan to take you into some of our favorite bird covers as we talk to the people that hunt them and the organizations that support them. We'll also break down the dogs, guns, and gear used to pursue them, and of course, we'll share the stories that celebrate this American tradition. It's one of those things that you do that, that feels timeless. My dad brought home our first Brittany when I was about 10 years old. The Red Gods are calling, and I must go. These are your stories. The Project Upland podcast is brought to you in part by Pine Ridge Grouse Camp. Adventure awaits. What's up, everybody? Nick Larson with the Project Upland podcast. Thank you for joining us for another episode. We've got an excellent show for you this week. Just wrapped up the conversation with our guest. We changed gears a little bit this week, and we headed west and had an awesome conversation about chucker hunting, which we will get to shortly. But just a couple things first, it is the week of Thanksgiving, depending on when you're listening to this, so happy Thanksgiving to all of you, the listeners. We appreciate you having on board, and I hope you have an awesome holiday week. I hope a lot of you are getting out hunting this week, as it tends to be an excellent week for hunting in in the various upland seasons across the country. So I hope you're doing that. I will be getting out grouse hunting for the first time since deer season uh, took me out of the grouse woods for a little bit but uh, i'll be back at it again this weekend hopefully get into some late season rough grouse hunting should still be very good i would say snow levels are snow levels are pretty low and i'm going to try to drive out of the snow actually to get uh, some even better hunting and to explore some new spots that uh, i checked in on last year but i haven't been there yet this season so We'll use our use a few the few days that we have off here to do a little exploring and some late season grouse hunting, and uh, yeah, like I said, I hope I hope all of you guys and girls are getting out in the woods and the fields as well because it's 
it's still hunting season and there's still plenty of it left. So good luck to you out there. Couple reminders. Don't forget about the free shipping code on Gumleaf Boots. That is through December 31st for all Project Upland listeners, followers. Uh, coupon code PU2017. PU2017 for free shipping on all products from GumleafUSA.com. Check those out. I talked to him about them in a review before the Tyler Webster podcast, I believe, and we just pushed the review on the projectupland.com website, so you can check it out there, uh, Gumleaf Boots. Uh, I think that's it. Uh, let's transition to our guest today. I just got done talking to him. His name is Bob McMichael. He is a Idaho resident who has an extreme passion for chucker hunting. He uh, it's, it's his favorite thing to do, and that is obvious after spending an hour on the phone with him. Very cool. He's very passionate about it, like many of our listeners are passionate about upland hunting. So I think you'll get that sense from him, and he's also very knowledgeable. He's been doing it for, I believe, 17 years, and he's got uh, experience and tenure in the in the uh chucker fields so it's uh it's a good conversation we cover a lot of topics from just kind of the enjoyment of it uh, how we got into it and sort of techniques tactics we get down into the weeds a little bit but excellent stuff i wasn't very familiar with chucker hunting i've never done it before but bob has me excited about it so i need to uh it's on my bucket list officially if it wasn't already. Um, so he, Bob does, uh, he runs a blog. He, he writes a lot on there about kind of all things, trucker hunting, some great photography that his wife, Leslie takes a lot of, and she films a lot of the videos, uh, not so much recently, which you'll find out a little bit more about on the podcast. But, uh, yeah, I think that's all I need to say. Let's transition into the episode. Uh, oh, if I didn't mention, the blog is chuckerculture.com. You want to check that out. So let's transition to the episode. Welcome to the Project Upland podcast, Bob McMichael. All right, Bob, welcome to the show. How are you tonight? I'm doing great. Thanks, Nick. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Appreciate you asking. And uh, we appreciate having you on the Project Upland podcast. It's a pleasure. So That's my I can see by uh, your Skype handle, it looks like you're in Boise, Idaho. Is that correct? I used to be. Uh, about, yeah, five and a half years ago, I moved up to Cambridge. Um, so I I traded a town that was uh, about 300,000 for a town that is about 300. Wow, that's a big that's a big change. So if uh, if I know anything about population centers and and how they translate to upland hunting i'm going to assume your upland hunting got a lot better when you moved to cambridge uh the the, the options increased uh radically i mean there's sure. just yeah we're we're in an amazing spot right here um we i can go you know 360 degrees from where i live and find all kinds of different habitat that usually has a pretty good selection of upland game birds. Um, in Boise, it was 
a little more limited. You had to go, you know, probably at least an hour out of town, although there was a sort of secret spot about 20 minutes uh, from my house that apparently almost nobody ever hunted and sometimes was fantastic. Um, but that was kind of the exception. Uh, in Boise, I typically went to almost almost all the time the same place, and it was about an hour, hour and a half away. And um, it was so steep that I never in 10 years of hunting it ever saw another person. <laughs> yeah, that's uh... – I don't know a lot about chucker hunting, and and we touched on that a little bit in our previous conversation. We'll we'll definitely talk about it today, but the uh, the steepness of the terrain is is certainly something that uh, is often associated with with chucker hunting. So that's uh, not a surprise to hear at all. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, a blessing. Uh, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying it's it's a blessing and, and a curse. So. Uh, yeah. The curse gets worse the older you get. <laughs> yeah, but I bet it's, uh, I, if I were a betting man, I, I bet it's pretty good for you, too, to be out there hoofing that terrain as much as you can. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, one of my neighbors um, here is 79 years old, and he's been hunting chucker around here for, I don't know, 30 years at least. And that guy is fit, and he he still goes with us maybe once a week, and uh, he, he's pretty. It's pretty cool to hunt with somebody who's almost eighty years old, and he can still he he goes slower than I do, but not much. Awesome, awesome. So so you mentioned that you're kind of uh, in the midpoint of your season right now, as far as uh, 2017, 18 season. Um, how much are you, how much are you getting out and hunting? sounds like you, you mentioned, uh, you'd been out this morning. Uh, is, are you, uh, you getting out quite a bit lately? Well, typically it's a weekend thing for me since I, I'm a, I'm a teacher. Um, I'm, we're lucky though in my school district, we teach, um, four days a week and every other Friday. So, um, a couple times a month, I've got three days in a row that I can hunt. And, awesome. Uh, yeah, that's it's fantastic. And in the fall, in the early fall, uh, I can get out after school because I'm close enough to, you know, good habitat that I can go out for a nice evening hunt for a couple hours before the sun goes down. So if if I, you know, if I'm stir crazy in the middle of the week, I I can add, you know, another day, like on a Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. So it's it's. You know, we, our season starts. Actually, I think it starts a little too early for the for the chucker, um, but it, it typically starts in mid September. Um, a lot of the young ones are kind of too small at that point, but uh, I, st- I still go out there. I don't know, um, but it's yeah. So I get out two, three, four times a week sometimes. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, it's, it sounds similar to kind of my situation. You know, I've got a full-time job, and uh, I'm kind of a weekend warrior and, and certainly certainly use the some PTO to my advantage to, to extend some weekends. And, and then uh, some parallels with the season there, too. Our, our uh, rough grouse season opens in mid-September, and 
same thing. You see some young birds, and conditions aren't the best, but it uh, it makes you appreciate the prime of the season when you get there. And so that's all that's all very cool. Uh, Idaho, are you from there? How'd you wind up there? Tell us a little bit about that backstory. Uh, I grew up in Southern California in a beach town. Uh, I was a surfer, and uh, then I ended up going to college in the area at uh, UC Berkeley. Uh, and then, um, long story, I went through the. Uh, I was in in the. I was a professor uh, in the Bay Area, and then I kind of tired of that life and decided to move to Boise, Idaho, knowing nobody and not having a job. And, um, uh, mainly because I wanted to start hunting big game. I'd done a little bit of bird hunting, but I really, I'm kind of a late bloomer when it comes to hunting. So I, I moved to, to Boise in about, uh, 2000, lived there for um, 12 years. And then Moved even farther north to this tiny little town of Cambridge, and uh, I just absolutely love it. Very cool, very cool. That's a that's a perfect segue um, into my next question, which is share with us your upland hunting story. You know, however however it might be that you found yourself in pursuit of this uh, passion that you have, but. Uh, and I think it's it's always interesting to find out how people get into the sport, and you know it's certainly my hope that maybe it will trigger others to you know sort of take something from everybody's story and maybe get into it themselves. But but share with us your upland hunting story, how you got into it. Wow, um, it's been an odyssey. Uh, <laughs> I think <laughs> it, it started with um, my my brother. Uh, so we both grew up in this beach town in Southern California, and he ended up going to college at Montana State and getting into hunting when he was, you know, 18, 19 years old. Um, I went the other route. I was sort of an intellectual, kind of a snob, and I was a cat person. I thought dogs were disgusting and <laughs> just filthy, and they stunk. And um, But then, he, you know, he he ended up, uh, he got a Brittany uh for his first dog, and I just fell in love with that dog. I, I didn't expect to, but um, I'd visit him up, and he was living up in Ellensburg, Washington, and he trained this dog according to Richard Walter's book, The Gun, Gun Dog, which is sort of oh, yeah. a vibe for, for Upland uh, dog training for a lot of people. And um, I'd visit him, and we'd go out, and we'd look for quail or pheasant or... Uh, and then we'd go duck hunting with this, this, this skinny Brittany and it was an amazing water dog in addition to it. So I just thought, holy cow, look at all this stuff you can do with a dog. And, um, but I didn't get a dog for a long time. Well, until I moved to Boise in 2000, but I kept visiting my brother and we'd go out and then I, but I'd never, I'd never hunted, um, until, um, on my own, I, I went my, with my brother, but he mailed me a Sears and Roebuck 20 gauge poly choke gun, and he mailed me. <laughs> mailed it to even. <laughs> thank, 
to me in the U.S. mail, <clears throat> and because I was going to go, we have a cabin in eastern Idaho, um, and um, he knew I was going there, and he said, here's what you need to do, and so I didn't have a dog, but I, I went looking for ruffed grouse in, in the kind of aspen, aspen draws uh, in, in Montana, in southwestern Montana. Sure. And I I really enjoyed that. It, it was it was um, just the hiking around, looking for the habitat that he described, and then finding birds there, like like he said they would be. They were there, and you know, and they'd go up, and I'd miss, and I'd miss, and then I hit one. And it was just like, holy crap! It's <laughs> it's, it's a miracle. And the thing. I wasn't really prepared for the shock of having taken a life because um, it, it, it's just not something I ever did. Yeah. Um, really, uh, until then. In fact, I, I, I wrote a story kind of about this, and it was published in Gray's Sporting Journal uh, a couple of years ago in 2015. And I, a lot of hunters talk about, you know, the the first one, they, the first life they take, but that kind of, I don't know, that kind of sadness or remorse really never goes away. Um, it, it kind of changes a little bit if, yeah. if, if you're a really good shot and you're killing a lot of birds. I, I really tried hard this summer to work on my shooting, um, and I, I've, I have a slightly higher percentage this season so far, but but not by much. Chucker hunting is, is it's always kind of a crapshoot if, if you're going to hit the birds or not, just depending on the situation. But anyway, so that kind of hooked me. And when I decided to leave the Bay Area and move to Idaho, I first thing I did was I looked in the paper for Brittany puppies and I got my first dog and I couldn't, I just couldn't wait for her to get old enough. She was a puppy, and I had to wait. I, I think I got her in at the beginning of April, um, hoping that by the beginning of the season I'd be able to take her out. And I, sure enough, she was <clears throat> she was she was ready. And our first hunt, she ran off and disappeared. Our first hunt in uh -oh. you know mid September, she disappeared. It got dark. Uh, I couldn't find her. Um, this is before the days of GPS collars and all that. Sure. Yeah. And I, I gave, I gave up. I, I went home and I called my brother and I said, what do I do? And he said, uh, well, you should probably just take your sleeping bag up, sleep in the back of your truck and hope she shows back up where you parked. And around, I, I went back up there. I got in my sleeping bag and about midnight, I hear this little puppy come huffing and puffing back up to the truck. And wow. Yeah, she showed up, and um, every single time we went hunting, for the short time I hunted with her, she did the same thing. She just disappeared for hours and hours. And Holy so wow. I didn't really get to hunt much with her because she just, she ran so big. I didn't know how to how to how to deal with that and so i just stopped hunting until we got our second Brittany, um angus 
who is now ten and a half, and he's just an amazing dog. And uh, had a, a lot of great years with him. And then last uh, two years ago, we got our third puppy, Pete, who I've written a lot about on my blog. <laughs> it, that's been an odyssey in itself. He's uh, he's got a tremendous prey drive, but he's a freaking nightmare um, of a dog. <laughs> Uh, he, 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 our first season, he ate, he ate the first six birds I shot, <laughs> five of which he stole from Angus as Angus was retrieving them. Oh boy. And he'd, he'd go up to Angus, rip him out of his mouth and then go off and eat it. And I was just, I was ready to kill this dog. And, uh, but I'm glad I didn't because he's an amazing hunter. The, the, the seventh bird I shot, he brought right right back to me. It was, I don't know he, what happened. It was just like a it, switch changed in his head. Yeah, so he has he has he not ate one since? It's uh, until today. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh, yeah, so today we went out. It was kind of a frustrating day, but I was I was investigating an area that had a lot of birds last year that I thought would not have birds this year because of the heavy snow, and sure enough, it didn't have a lot of birds, but down at the bottom, um, there's these brushy draws, and there was some quail in there, and I thought, well, why not get, try to get a couple quail? And um, so the the dogs ganged up on them, and they, they busted them out of this um, blackberry patch, and I managed to drop two of them, and Pete, Pete found one of them, and... Uh, he couldn't get, he couldn't figure out how to get to me. Normally in chucker country, it's more, way more open. Yeah. And so he, he just brings them straight back to me, but he, he couldn't figure out how to get this quail to me. So <laughs> I watched him do it. He pulled the head off and he ate the head. <laughs> I'm sure I'm going to find it in our backyard, you know, in a day or two. But yeah, uh, yeah. until today he hadn't, he hadn't, he hadn't harmed a bird. So. He'll be fine. That's kind of why I don't like quail hunting, <laughs> uh, because the 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 brambles are so heavy that if I knock a bird down into the the brambles, it's hard to. In fact, I lost one today because they couldn't get to it, and I I could I could see it, but I wasn't gonna kill myself or get my dogs all torn up trying to get it. So that's yeah. a little hard to take. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, that's never. Never, never ideal for sure. All right, well, cool. So you you um, you mentioned it a little bit there. Uh, you also have a blog that you manage and write on and post uh, excellent pictures, by the way. Thank uh, you. Yeah. So www. for people to check out. Um, tell us where the where the motivation. Um, and the interest came in, in sort of that project and, and why you wanted to share your hunting experience in that way and and how chucker culture became what it is today. Um, thanks for asking that. It's um, A lot of it had to do with my, my wife, um, who is an athlete and but not – she wasn't a hunter. She was, in fact, she was a member of PETA um, wow. before we met. And um, she 
she knew I liked to do this. She she likes animals and she loves dogs and so so she decided to come along with me one time when I went chucker hunting and um she really enjoyed the hiking. She'd never she'd done a lot of hiking, but you know only on trails like most people do. And um she really thought getting off the trail was cool because you see so many things that you would never see on a trail. Um, we found a lot. We found a lot of deer sheds, and um, you just see a lot more wildlife when you get off the trail. And um, so that, so she really enjoyed that, and she liked seeing the dogs um, work, and 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 was amazed at kind of their natural instincts to point and yeah. all that. So she she followed along with a camera for ten years, and um, and I like to write, and I just I. I just love this activity. Uh, I just, uh, chucker hunting is my favorite thing to do, period. And, um, I like to write. I'm a teacher. Um, so I just thought, um, it'd be a good outlet for the thoughts and ideas I had about, you know, this weird activity of, uh, seeking things that you find really beautiful, uh, and impressive and trying to kill them. It's just the it's the weirdest paradox I've ever encountered, and I can't resolve it. I don't you know I don't know how to reconcile you know this like desire to kill with uh, with um, you know how beautiful I think these animals are. You know a lot of people have written about this, and <clears throat> it's just part of the it's part of the attraction, I think. Um, this, this unresolvable, this paradox, I don't know. It's, uh, anyway, it's got me, I always think about it. Um, I really enjoy reading other people, um, who kind of struggle with this idea of, you know, these, these creatures are so gorgeous and so beautiful and, um, you know, I, I'm not, the kind of person who thinks, oh, they have exactly the same emotions that people do, because um, I don't think they they do, and yeah, um, but they they still they still have a will to live, you know, like we do, and so that you know that's somebody. I think I really also uh, the thing that really kind of. Pr- propelled me to keep writing this uh, this blog is the comments I get from people um, which I just really enjoy getting because it helps me understand some of the things that that I struggle with about doing this um, in a different way or in a, maybe a better way and somebody wrote you know the day that you stop thinking about this this paradox of killing something that you you admire um is the day you should stop hunting yep and i think that's i mean it's it's not true for everybody i'm not i'm not here to tell people how to feel or what they should think or whatever but for me it's that's that's part of it it's just uh you know it's i don't think it should ever be easy to take a life and it's it's kind of weird we can kind of start connecting this to equipment and choke sizes and shot sizes because I just recently switched to from seven. I'd always shot seven and a half 
uh, Allison and an eighth. I shoot a 12 gauge and I always shot seven and a half. And someone made an argument to me recently that said, you should try sixes because you'll probably get more clean kills. And I really don't like having to kill or dispatch a, a, a bird that my dog brings back that's still fully alive. Yeah. I just don't like, I don't like looking in its eyes and seeing it, uh, you know, in fear. And, you know, but I obviously do it, but I prefer if the dog brought a, a bird back that was stone cold dead. Um, so I, I just switched to six shot and I'm hitting fewer birds, which is not surprising, but interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's fewer pellets going out there, but the, every bird I've hit has been, you know, completely dead. And so I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying to decide if, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to stick with sixes or if I'm going to go back to, cause I, I really do like getting birds because I like the meat and yeah. I didn't get a deer or an elk this year. So we're trying to use bird meat to kind of compensate for my lack of animal protein. So, um, so anyway, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I appreciate your comments and thoughts on that. I, I certainly put myself in, in that category for the most part, as far as, you know, we go through it a lot with, with, yeah, I, I am what, what, what fueled my, passion for rough grouse hunting was the bird and i was so interested and intrigued by how you know beautiful unique looking just the characteristics everything about the bird i was interested in and the only way for me to get closer to that bird was to hunt it to hunt it and ultimately kill it and you know i still do it this day and i'm still 100% 100% driven by that interest in the bird. And of course the climax of the hunt is, is killing the bird. And right. I like you enjoy the meat and all that stuff. But, but yeah, it's a, uh, it's, it's something that again, yeah, I think you stop, take a minute, think about it and appreciate, you know, what you hold in your hand, that sort of thing. It's, it's, it's very unique about hunting. Absolutely. hundred percent. And, Somebody wrote it, and I'm sure you've read it. You know, if you could, if you could catch and release a, a bird, you might think initially that you would, but then it doesn't become hunting, and it's something something else entirely. So that's it's kind of an interesting thing to think about as well. Yeah, I ha- <clears throat> I have a friend who um, recently asked me, you know, when when it's going to be enough, and when I'm when I'm going to tr- trade my my Benelli for a Nikon. And, and it's a, it's a great question. Um, but it's really untenable. It's, it's not, I, I, I've, I've been a photographer for a long time. My wife is a better photographer than I am. Most of the pictures on my blog are hers and, uh, the video she's, she shot pretty much all the video, but you're not, you're not going to, I mean, we don't actually, the thing about chucker hunting that I kind of like is that, uh, I can sleep in and we can still go out and you don't have to be up the crack of dawn like some, some types of hunting, but, yeah, but there is something exciting about, uh, you know, starting your hike up the hill 
before the sun's come up and the birds are actually moving around a little bit more. So you do see more action when you start early, but you're really not the, the kind of effort that you have to put out to go find birds, um, is not the kind of effort that you typically would do to go take great pictures. I, I, I don't know. Maybe professional photographers, I'm sure are different, but I'm just not motivated with, by the, that, the thought of just taking the, camera out and then there's the other question well your dogs are used to they want to get those birds in their mouth Mm -hmm. right so you know and and a lot of people have written about their dogs you know after they've you know missed their 20th straight shot on a chucker their dogs start looking at them funny (laughs) and so there's something part of it is it is this kind of partnership, this mutual agreement that, you know, if they do the hard work that they do to find the birds and point them and hold them, you should, you know, do your darndest to drop one for them. And Indeed. Yeah. I think that's, I don't know, that's that's part of the game. Yep, absolutely agree. It's uh, certainly always interesting to, to talk about those aspects of hunting and, and the relationship between you and the dog and yeah it's it's very special and and always uh always a topic of conversation absolutely um okay let's talk about chucker honey they're uh i've heard them referred to as devil birds do you refer to them as that i i don't i I mean i i get it (laughs) yeah yeah i get it you know i i've they, they, uh, they're an amazing creature. They, they laugh at you. I mean, they're not laughing at you, obviously, but it seems like it because you yeah. can hear them. You can hear them crowing and trying to call in the, the, the scattered members of their tribe and, um, in the cliffs above you after, you know, you've worked your ass off for an hour to get up to where they are and, you know, the dog points and, um, they explode from, you know, a point 15 degrees from where you thought they were and you, you don't even have a shot and you watch them sail for two miles down the canyon. Um, <laughs> and then you can hear them crowing <laughs> in the rocks where they landed. And it's, it, it seems like they're laughing at you. So maybe they are. I don't know. I, I kind of, but the, the devil, they also call them red legged devils. Um, because yeah. their legs are red and, um, and a lot of people say, you know, the first, the first chucker you kill is, um, uh, gratification and everyone after that is revenge. A lot of people, yeah. or some, something to that effect. Um, yeah. <clears throat> I don't, I don't, I don't really think of it as seeking revenge. I'm, I'm not out for, um, <laughs> for, I'm not out to, to exact revenge on on these birds, um, but you know it's kind of fun to talk about them in that way. They're they're very tough to to hunt, very very tough. They're they have sentries um, that you, there's no way you can see who are watching you if you're approaching, and you know they'll bust if they know that you don't. If you keep coming, they'll bust. You know, a yeah. hundred or two hundred yards before you get there, right? So you never have a shot, and 
Um, so it's just, it's, it's a, it's a hu- huge challenge. And everyone who is a regular chucker hunter, um, knows this and, um, deals with it differently. <laughs> um, for me, it's kind of like one of those, it's one of those things that just, um, it's one of the few things I do that I just don't give up on, to be honest. It's, it's, there's something about it that just, I don't want to give up. And I get, you know, I'm really, really tired after climbing for an hour, an hour and a half, and I see a ridge above me that looks good. <clears throat> I'll, I'll go. You know, it's just, there's something about it that just draws you up. Yeah. Excellent. Cool. So we know that you hunt with Britneys, um, but do do people, do you, do people, is it possible? What's your opinion? I mean, can you hunt them without dogs? Before we, before we start talking about you and your dogs, I mean, do does anybody hunt them without dogs? Um, that's a great question um people hunting without dogs and i would always advise um people if they can get a dog to have a dog um um but uh, my brother for example recently floated uh, did a raft trip down uh, a river um, that was known for a good chucker habitat and he and his son uh, went chucker hunting four straight days without dogs. Um, they did a lot of climbing. I think they climbed at least 3,000 feet elevation each day. Um, no dogs, and they limited three of the four days, which in Idaho is uh, eight birds. Oh, wow. So no dogs, eight birds. To me, I've limited – I've been chucker hunting for 17 years, and I've limited – twice um so when he told me the success they had uh, without dogs i was i was stunned um uh, it also tells you the uh the health of the bird population where they were hunting um so they had a a really good year they've had several really good years in a row so there's a ton of birds there but still to hunt without a dog is, it's really tough because, you know, you have to bump them. You're your own flusher. You're not a pointer. Um, so you have to be kind of always ready. Um, I carry, I have my, my gun is on, a, I have a sling on my gun. Um, so when I'm watching my dogs, um, and they're not, they don't look birdie, the gun's on my shoulder and that kind of eases the pain of carrying the gun. But if you're hunting with a dog, you always need to be ready. Yeah. And then, and then the other thing is, if you knock one down, and there's sage or even grass, it's almost impossible to find them unless you do a really, really good job of marking it. But if it's on a steep slope, which 90% of the time it is, when the bird hits, it's gonna, it could go 300 yards down the hill or farther. Wow. And so, (laughs) you've gained all this elevation, and you've got a Mark it and then find a line and imagine the line that it went down the hill and hope to find it um, without a dog. Um, so hunting with a hunting chucker without a dog is 
it's if you're successful doing that, it's totally badass, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Possible. I mean, you see that you see that paralleled a lot. I think when in pursuit of other upland species, uh, you know, I mean, obviously the conversation often focuses around the dogs and because because they they do provide such an advantage um, in both finding and retrieving birds, but but you can people can be successful without it so it's interesting to see that but yeah i i couldn't imagine shooting a bird and watching it slide all the way downhill and then you know you got to go you know market find it. can they be can they be you know as far as camouflage goes can they be can they really blend in with with the ground are they pretty easy to find once you get up to them they are not easy to find because they are they're all earth tones and they have these beautiful barred feathers on their flanks yeah, but um, but they're gray and tan and brown, and um, you know, you, I mean, the if you ever go chucker hunting and you're with pointing dogs and the dogs point, and there's almost no cover on the ground where the dogs are looking and pointing, and you still can't see the birds, and you think. There cannot possibly be a living creature where the dogs are looking, and then suddenly twenty birds erupt from that very spot. They are hard; to, they're hard to see. I mean, they can they can make themselves invisible in five inches of cheatgrass. Yeah, it, it's crazy. And so when they fall, and if there's sage, you know, it, it's just it's. It's next to impossible to find him. And a lot of times the dogs will have a really tough time finding him too, especially if you, if you, um, stone cold kill him. If they hit the ground totally dead, um, they have a, often have a really hard time finding the bird. And I asked a biologist friend of mine who chucker hunts, you know, why that is or why he thought it was. And he, he, he said with total confidence that the if the bird is not um, exhaling, the dogs can't find it. Sure. And I have walked over dead chucker that the dogs were – in fact, one <laughs> – I shot a chucker last year that hit the ground dead. And I couldn't find it. My dogs couldn't find it. And and I go about 10 yards from where I was standing, and, and my puppy, Pete, had his foot on the chucker, and he didn't know the, the it, it, he didn't seem to know the chucker was under his foot. Yep. It was weird. It was the weirdest thing. Yeah, I, logically that makes sense. You know, I know that I know that scent does funny things for sure, and and live birds. You know, I've heard live birds and dead birds. The scent is different. Logically, that makes sense. You know, you've got a bird that's not exhaling. And I've seen some examples where, yeah, you know, I've had I've had down birds, and you bring a dog in to to hunt dead, and every once in a while you'll you'll see the bird before the dog sees it, and so you can see it on the ground, and uh, you know you're trying to work the dog in to get it, and they're yeah. maybe running back and running back and forth in circles, and you know you can see it, they don't see it, but it just goes to show you how much the dog is really following their nose. I mean, they put 100% of their yeah. effort behind their nose. They're not using their eyes in that sense, but yeah, I think yeah. that the, the inhaling exhaling thing, that's that 
makes logical sense to me. So I could I could see how that would that would work. So you've noticed that with uh, with grouse. Yes, I have, and uh, I actually have a pretty good example of uh, of a similar scenario with a woodcock this year. My buddy and I were hunting just a few weeks ago, and we we right away first bird of the day that was pointed got up. My buddy shot it. It came down, and it had the first snow of the year had occurred the night before. So the we were hunting an area that didn't have too much snow, but there was snow all over the grass, and everything was matted down. And sure enough, the woodcock, you know, got through that grass, and it was just literally impossible for us to find it. We had two dogs in there tracing back and forth and couldn't find anything. And a woodcock's not a huge bird, so, again, I think you're going to see less scent there. And I had just read, that like, a couple days before that, you know, in, in a scenario like that, if you can – if you can leave and come back later and let that dead bird put down some scent, you know, even though it's not exhaling, I think time will will leave some scent there. And so sure enough, we did that. We went, we hunted for two hours. We came back two hours later, and my buddy Shorthair went in there and found it. And it was right oh, near right near where we were. Yeah. And so uh, I'm thinking that, you know, similar thing, that that bird came down dead and wasn't exhaling. Dogs couldn't find it. It was tough conditions, but fortunately we came back and found it so that was pretty neat oh that's cool yeah uh all right so so we're we're into chucker hunting now let's talk about uh a little bit about habitat i mean i think like from my little experience i've never chucker hunted before i'm familiar with it i see it you know i see videos and pictures online i mean the thing that i always associates with me in my mind to chucker hunting is just the absolute beautiful, gorgeous, open country. And, you know, a lot of your pictures show that, but talk a little bit about the habitat, um, and, and how you target birds within that habitat. The, the habitat is, um, it's key and it, it, it change, it seems to change the, the ideal spots for the birds seem to change with the seasons. Um, in the early part of the season, you're going to always want to find some kind of water source. Um, they, they need water. And so if there's a spring, um, or if there's in, in public land that we hunt, uh, it's multi-use. So they, they run cattle on, much or most of it so they have cattle um, watering troughs that leak um, or are spring fed so typically you'll find birds in in September and early October when it's really warm around some kind of water source um, or close to a river or a reservoir or something like that but they also really are um, hyper aware of aerial predators. So they, they, they need cover. They need places where they can move from the watering area to where they're going to hang out and try to feed themselves during the day. And, um, uh, sadly <laughs> for those of us who, um, find gravity kind of a problem. Um, they're often in rocky cliffs, 
and getting to them without um, showing yourself is requires a little bit of strategy as well as some good lungs and legs. So, um, but that's part of the that's part of the attraction for a lot of people. I think the the workout and and the, the physical effort required to get it. <clears throat> um, but the, the habitat really varies. I mean, I've I found chucker in flat, uh, grassy, like like 20 acres of flat grass, you know. Yeah. Uh, com, you know, but I've also found them, like, hunkered down in the most gnarly, shales, scree-sloped, you know, crap that you can barely walk on, and, and it takes, like, 10 seconds to move one foot. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, and, and to be honest, I don't think anybody really knows why Chucker are exactly where they are when they are where they are. In fact, a fr- my, my 79 year old friend, Sam, he, he says, I'll tell you where they are. They're where they are. Yeah. Yeah, we um, say that about we say that about grouse a lot. Grouse are where you find them. Yeah, same same kind of thing. Yeah. So the the thing that I discovered last year, uh, I found this amazing spot um, that I was totally shocked to find chucker in. It was a kind of a m- mildly undulating bench area. It wasn't super steep. It was pretty easy to hike aside from the volcanic rock. Um, on the ground covered up by medusa head and cheat grass, which it's, that's its own thing. Hmm. Um, it's hard to get a good, good, uh, good footstep a lot of times. But, uh, as far as the gravity thing, it wasn't really, um, terrible. And it was a mix of bitter brush and, which some people will call buck brush and, um, sage. And birds seem to really like that kind of cover. And I was finding tons of chucker in this area. It's really rocky. There's a lot of cheatgrass. They eat the green up, the, the green grass that grows up under the dried grass uh, in the fall after it started raining. So there's food everywhere. There's cover from the aerial predators. Um, and we were just finding tons of chucker in there. It was just like, wow, this is so awesome that we don't have to hike up, you know, 2,000 feet before we start seeing birds. <laughs> um, but the problem with our winter last year is that I, they got blanketed with about six feet of snow, and um, the birds could not get out of it, and they couldn't find a, uh, a place to hunker down. They couldn't find any food once the snow got deep enough. And it's ironic for a bird that originally comes from the foothills of the Himalayas mm-hmm. that that this kind of weather we had around here in you know sad little Idaho um, you know we're not in, we're not at twenty thousand feet or anything like that these birds right. just got this one area I mean I've hiked twenty miles in it this season I have I found one covey of Hungarian partridge not a single chucker no sign nothing and I think they just got decimated. Um, which is really sad, but that's, that's the weather. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Can't, can't predict it. I mean, the, 
the thing about upland birds, what what makes a good upland bird is they are absolutely resilient and, and adaptable, but but there are things like that, occurrences and the weather and the conditions that they can't necessarily overcome it that year, but you know, you hope that, that conditions provide a, an opportunity for them in the future to maybe make use of some of those areas. But yeah, very interesting that that such a such a plentiful you know spot can be nearly wiped out the the following year or something like that. Yeah, there. I have a video on on YouTube um, that documents this this area, and it's I think it's called Thanksgiving Partridge Hunt or Thanksgiving Checker Hunt. And it, I mean, it's a great it's a great video. It's, it's the highest number of views I've of any of my videos. And part of part of why I think that is is because there it's it's by far the most action in any of my videos. Every literally every five minutes we were in an, another cubby, and it's the most birds I've ever seen. It was mostly chucker, but some Hungarian partridge or gray partridge, um, and it, it was just just incredible to see that many birds and. Um, it was like being on a on a game farm. It was crazy, um, but uh, I've hiked all through that area this year, starting in the spring, because I was worried that you know that I, I was worried for the birds out there, and I, I haven't seen any out there. So. Yeah. All right. Well, let's transition a little bit. Um, you talked about your Britneys earlier. Let's let's talk about bird dogs. In the sense of, you know, what makes a good chucker dog? What do you, what do you, from your experience, what obviously, what do, what do your dogs do, and what have maybe you seen other dogs do? What what does a good chucker dog look like out in the field? Well, that's a great question, and everyone who owns uh, a, a dog that they hunt with is going to say it's the best dog, probably. If uh, otherwise, they would they wouldn't be they wouldn't be chucker hunting or grouse hunting or Woodcock hunting, but um, I mean, I like Brittany's. Uh, it, it's probably just a kind of personal personal choice. The the, the dogs I've had um, don't run really big. Um, if they get out 150 yards, that's kind of the limit of their range. Okay. Um, my friend Sam, he has a Drothauer, a German wired hair, and that dog, um, her range is about 500 yards. And um, thank God for the GPS collars because, you know, in the undulating terrain and then the ridges and draws and stuff that make up chucker country, you know, the, in fact, I used to badmouth the GP, the whole GPS thing because I thought, well, you know, you should know where your dog is. But um, I got tired of missing points. I knew if my dogs, my dogs run a circuit, and I know the it's usually counterclockwise. And if they are gone, if I don't see them for more than two minutes, I know they're on birds. But in the country we hunt. Um, <laughs> They could be 360 degrees anywhere, and I don't know where to go. And so I sucked it up, and I bought a, a Garmin Alpha and a, and the collars for the dogs. Yep. And 
Boy, I have my, the, my stress level hunting went way down after I got those because I didn't have to worry where they were. If they just, you know, it tells you if they're on point. You know, there's a lot of false points because sometimes, you know, my, my puppy especially likes, he likes views. He likes to kind of stop at the top of a ridge and just, <laughs> and so That's I, cool. I'll, I'll start running uphill and I'll, I'll realize he was just sitting down looking at the view. And <laughs> Uh, but it's, it's, it's great to be able to locate the dogs, but the Britneys, uh, I, I just like Britneys because they're what I've had. I haven't had any other dogs. They're, they make great pets. We sleep with them. Um, we take them everywhere with us. Um, but you know, these guys come to Cambridge every fall from Virginia with 12 dogs. These four guys, they have 12 dogs in their pickup. And those dogs never see the inside of a house. They're working machines. And um, so that, you know, a lot of people have that kind of relationship with their dogs. I'm not saying one's better than the other, but I just love the personality and com- company and companionship of the dogs. And I think Britneys are, are great. The problem with Britneys for this kind of country is that they're, they tend to have more fur and there's a lot of stickers. And so, um, some Britneys have lighter coats than others. Angus, yeah. the other dog, has a pretty thick coat, beautiful feathers, just really gorgeous dog, but we try to keep him shaved as much as we can, and still we spend, you know, probably about at least a half an hour after every outing just combing him out. And then during tick season, when we're not, you know, in the spring, when we're not in summer, you know, it's... It's a chore to keep them um, safe from Lyme disease or whatever. And yeah, I always, I always look at you know German short hairs and Vishlas and English pointers that have that real thin coat. And I think, boy, that that would be nice not to have to coat, uh, you know, comb out, and de-sticker these dogs as much as we do, but. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we like our Britneys. <laughs> so we'll probably just, like a lot of people, just keep getting what we've got. I, I, I do like the Vishla. I think, I think they're a pretty dog. And I know someone who has, uh, a couple of really good hunting Vishlas for Chucker Country. Um, but I think a lot of it has to do with the kind of year round relationship you have with the dog. A lot of people have, sent me messages about how how to deal with um, the pads of the dogs that get cut up uh, a lot. Chucker terrain is full of really coarse uh, rock. And, um, so people whose dogs are um, not used to running on that stuff, um, you'll see a lot of pictures like on Instagram of people with boots on their dogs. And, um, we just, uh, it's, that's a, it's a, it's a hard deal. It's a hard deal because, you know, if the pads get split, um, you got to pull that dog out and you can't hunt them until the pad heals. And a lot of dogs don't want boots on their feet. Um, our puppy, I mean, he wouldn't. I did it for fun just to see what he would do one day. And he just spent like a straight hour just demolishing this boot. 
And there was nothing left. Um, but what we do is we just run our dogs uh, year-round on gravel roads. So we're lucky enough to be around gravel roads that almost have no traffic, and so their pads are pretty tough year-round. So that's the main consideration for a chucker dog, I think, is to make sure their pads are in good shape when the season starts. Otherwise, they're going to be constantly tearing them up. Um, and then having the, the fingernails cut short enough so that they don't, um, we've lost a, a couple times we didn't trim their nails and trimming a, our older dog, we had to take him to the vet to trim his nails because he won't let us touch his fingernails because when he was a puppy, I cut one of his nails to the, you know, into the quick. Yeah. And so he, so that's kind of a pain, but, um, um, as long as you kind of, make sure their feet are okay and tough enough to withstand the rocks that they're going to be going over all day long, then they'll be fine. But if they, if they're not, then you got to be prepared with boots and that kind of thing. Yeah. 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 I've, I've uh, certainly come across it. I haven't traveled West to hunt yet, but I have some friends that have, and, and I've read a lot about it. You know, those are definitely considerations. You gotta, you gotta think about what, what sort of terrain and, cover your dog is normally running through and then if you're going to travel and put him in something else what are those concerns and yeah that's uh the, the, those pad pad injuries are are always a pain in the you know what to deal with and and, yeah. and dogs dogs think the same thing about boots so yeah exa- exactly yeah. right um quickly on on gear uh do you have any i mean any essential pieces of gear you know other than obviously i guess maybe maybe you want to talk about what kind of maybe boots you you like to wear in that sort of country so i think that'd be interesting to people but you know i know you're wearing an upland vest maybe some, some of those few high level things on uh what kind of gear you you like to have with you out there um that's a that's a great question uh, it, it, my understanding of it from what I've written on my blog, uh, I do a lot of gear reviews on my blog the thing okay. that I use. Um, I'm very opinionated about boots uh, for chucker hunting. I think um, almost every upland hunter is. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, the, I mean, I have to wear mountaineering boots, chucker hunting. I, I won't wear anything else, and so that what that means is a, a almost totally inflexible sole. Okay. Uh, and the reason for that is um, you're you're never ever stepping on uh, flat ground. There's always going to you're almost always you're you're walking on uh, rocks, and if your foot flexes over every footstep, you're just going to be in agony. And so that's why I'm just a devout mountaineer. And I found this year, I found what I think is the perfect boot. And I wrote a re- review of it. It's not high enough for my taste because I have a bad ankle, but, um, but it's a, uh, La Sportiva Trango something or other. Got it really cheap on SierraTradingPost.com. Um, but the other cool thing about this particular boot is that it's very, very light. And so if you, and I, the, the review I wrote and I calculated the amount of weight on a typical chucker hunt that you would have to uh, lift extra if you had a typical pair of like 
backpacking boots or thick boots with insulation or whatever. Yep. It's staggering. So, um, but, but the key is protecting your feet and, uh, everybody's different. Um, so I've had lots of people write in, Oh, this boot is the best for chucker hunting. And I believe these are like diehard chucker hunters. And I look at the boot and I can't believe anyone would even dream of chucker hunting in that boot. Like, you know, uh, these like logging boots, like white yeah. brothers or whites. I don't know. A lot of people like those boots, but I, I would never wear them because it's a, you also need really good lateral stiffness because you're side hilling so much when you're chucker hunting that if, if you don't have lateral stiffness, your ankles are just going to be, you're going to sprain your ankles constantly. Yeah. So that's really the most important thing. Everyone has a different idea about the, the vest. Um, yeah. uh, I, I'm a, I'm a fan of water bladders or hydration bladders. I don't like stopping and taking a water bottle out to, I, I water my dogs from, you know, the, the drinking tube that I drink out of and it's just really convenient. I almost never stop when I'm, when I'm chucker hunting because I'm just always going and I don't want to stop and rest. I probably should. Maybe that'd make my, my days a little more fun, but <laughs> I don't know. The other, it's hard, it's hard when there's good cover ahead of you. Yeah, I know exactly. You're just, it's, it's the eternal hope, right? That, that there yes. might be more birds there. Um, and the only other thing that I carry that, um, uh, I feel good about having, even though it's heavy and was pretty expensive is a pair of serious cable cutters because there are a lot of trappers around here. And if your dog gets caught in the snare trap, it's dead unless you can get to it and cut the um, braided steel cable on that trap. Yeah. I don't know if you deal with that or if you carry that kind of thing, but man, I was terrified one time because we ran across a trap set and I had no idea they were in our area, but I talked to a bunch of people and uh, apparently there are a lot of people who trap in, in chucker country, which is kind of weird, but, um, I just didn't want to watch my dog die and not be able to save it. Yep. I, uh, hundred percent agree with you there. I mean, it's, uh, it's, we, we do have trappers here as well. And, uh, you, you know, I think I, I get the sense from you, you know, if they have just as much right to the land that, that, uh, you know, as we do, yeah. Uh, but it's but it's important when you when you let your dog off the leash, you got to understand the risks out there. And so yeah, I like you. I carry I don't know I carry a Leatherman. That would be what I would have for cutting um, like a snare. We see a lot more uh, body grip traps or the conibear traps. And so I have right. a actually we've got a, a neat. It's like a small aluminum. So it's very lightweight. It's an aluminum trap setter that you could actually use if you were a trapper to set the traps. But it's, it's, I think it mainly got developed because it was, it's lightweight and uh, can pretty much undo just about any trap if you know how to use it. So yeah, I've just like you, I've got that in my vest and same thing. I, uh, I, I haven't had any, uh, any run-ins with traps yet and I hope I don't. Yeah. Um, but, but if I do, I, I'm at least going to have some kind of clue of, of how to get my dog out of it as quickly as possible. Yeah, it's like, I agree, you know, I don't, I don't resent any trappers, you know, 
trap sets yep. or whatever, but <clears throat> it's not something you really want to think about or practice, but you probably should. Right. Uh, just to, if you care about your dogs. So. Yeah. Um, okay. A couple other things. I was, uh, I was reading your, uh, your blog a little bit today and I, I came across, it was probably one of more, one of your more recent posts, but I thought it was pretty cool. Um, you had, uh, you're out hunting somewhere and you bumped into a couple of guys that had actually, they were sort of followers, readers of your blog and they, cool. they had a jet boat which yeah. they were using to, to traverse I, I, up and down the river to get to cover, and, and you joined them for a little bit. Talk a little bit about that, just because I thought that was really neat. I've never I've never got to a rough grouse cover via jet boat, so <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. That was that was really amazing. It was uh, uh, I'd never been on a jet boat. Uh, um, uh, I knew people used them, um, and the, the the really cool thing is that the guy. Uh, whose jet boat I ended up getting a ride on. I had worked with my brother. He's a biologist. My brother's a fish biologist. Oh. He'd worked with my brother on projects for the last 20 years. So he knew my brother and, uh, it was, it's just made it just kind of how cool sometimes the small world we live in is. And yes. So we got up, we, it was just, it, it was amazing. I mean, you can get to well this river is just it's pounding it's there's a lot of rapids in it and jet boats just you know they can go through pretty much anything they can run in four inches of water or whatever and um so we just motored up they had a they had a license to hunt in oregon which is on one side of the snake river and i my license was for idaho so i was on the other side so they um they dropped me we i think we went up maybe 15 miles from where we were camped and uh so they just they dropped me off i started hunting and well my my puppy was with me pete and the the boat ride was so rough pete hadn't ever experienced anything like that he, he immediately like puked all over the floor of this guy's boat <laughs> oh perfect <laughs> a little embarrassing uh but taken care of anyway they dropped us off and Pete and I had a great hunt and they hunted over on their side and we had radio. So we, um, we, uh, we coordinated and they picked me up and, um, I could hear them shooting. They could hear me shooting and, um, yeah, it was, it was awesome. It was really cool. I, you know, jet boats are expensive. Um, and it, I wouldn't, if someone said here, why don't you drive? I would say no, thank you, because uh, just it 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 seemed like a whole other deal. Like you would really have to learn. And he, I asked him how he learned how to read the river and run run his boat. And he said he he was basically trained. He worked with a guy who ran a jet jet boat. So part of his job was to go up and down this corridor. And so he just worked with this guy who ran the jet boat. Um, so we learned from him. So it's not something like, oh, I'm going to go spend, you know, $150,000 on a jet boat and take it out the first day in a bunch of really hard water. So you, there's a steep learning curve there. I, I was not, I was not, um, craving a jet boat after that, <laughs> but, but I yeah. appreciated 
getting the ride and being able to get to stuff that you could never get to uh, without that kind of transportation. We have a boat that we take on flat water. It's a motor, just a motor boat. Um, we're, um, where we live is, uh, we're at the edge of Hell's Canyon. There's a series of reservoirs on the Snake River, the, uh, Brownlee Reservoir, Oxbow Reservoir, and Hell's Canyon Reservoir, which are, are three, um, consecutive reservoirs on, on the Snake River, um, just to the west of us. And, um, so you can take your boat down there and you can get to lots of ground. Um, that you could never really get to on foot or any other way or by vehicle, um, which is another cool thing about all the public land we have here in Idaho and how much, you know, I'll, I'll just, I can hunt at a different spot all season long. I, you know, I cannot, re- I can, there, with the, the amount of access and public land and ways to, different ways of getting to it, uh, it's just phenomenal, um, the variety of opportunities that you have here. If you know somebody with a boat or if you have a boat or if you have a, a UTV or a side-by-side or an ATV, um, the Cecil Andrus um, Wildlife Management Area, which is a combination of state, fish and game, and federal land, BLM land. Um, there are a series of gates and road and dirt roads that you can get a key for to get through, and they only allow like four or five people per day to get that key. So you can take an ATV wow. uh, out in the middle of no, it's it's awesome. I mean, so um, in the 17 years I've been chucker hunting in Idaho, I've only run into one other hunter chucker hunting. Wow, that's un- that's unbelievable. That's to me, yeah, that's that's crazy because I mean, I I hunt rough grouse in the Midwest where we are very grateful for our public land access, but it's it's certainly not unusual to see other hunters. So yeah, that's 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 amazing. Seventeen years, one other hunter, and that guy was this season opening day, and we didn't run into him. He was just on a ridge that I was planning to hunt, maybe you know half a mile from me. So, you know, I said, oh, I see him and his dog up there. I'm going to go the other way. And that that is that's that's the most extreme conflict I've ever had with a hunter. During- <laughs> and that's yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. Yep, that is. That's very cool. I, I can never, uh, never be thankful and grateful enough for, for public land access. I mean, we uh, certainly need to do what we can to make sure it stays that way. But, man, when yep. it... When it when you have it, it's amazing. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Um, I, I want to talk about one other thing. We've kind of gone on a little bit here, but I want to talk about um, your, you said your wife recently started hunting. And so I think that's, that's a unique thing uh, in that, you know, you've, you've obviously served as a mentor to her. And so talk a little bit about what that experience has been like for you to see somebody that, has really made a you know one eight complete one eighty. You said she was a member of PETA and now she's hunting. So a little <laughs> bit what that's what that's been like, you know, for you to to witness and I mean it has to has to be really cool for you. It is. It I mean it it brings tears to my eyes when I think about it because um to think of somebody who's uh you know fifty five years old and 
she decides she until August this August she'd never shot a gun. Um she but you know, she she'd been along on these hunts and Yeah. Well I should you know if I if I really want to say that I go chucker hunting, um just carrying the camera isn't isn't cutting it for me anymore. And I I just I really admire anybody who decides to try to do something different um, when it's not normal. I don't know. That sounds yeah. good. But but she just you know, she 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 really wanted to experience what chucker hunting really was and she knew that taking all that video and the photographs uh, and being with me and the dogs all the time um, wasn't chucker hunting. It was documenting, documenting chucker hunting, which is not the same. And she understood that, and she decided that she wanted to to experience it. And so um, we got her a gun, and we started shooting. We took a lesson. I wrote a, a, a blog post about our lesson. I'd never taken a, a shooting lesson. It was a it was an eye opener. It was fantastic. Um, I learned a lot. We learned a lot. We practiced a lot. She ended up out shooting me uh, at trap, and she hits more targets than I do. So she's, you know, she's she's got the the stuff she needs to to have to be able to do this. And um, so we she started hunting this season, and um, you know, it's a it's a learning curve and. Um, you know, when you follow the dog with the camera, you're always trying to stay out of the way of me yep. and the gun, right? But when you follow the dog with a gun, you know, you've got to be right up there with the dogs. And so that was a kind of a learning curve for her. So she she figured that out. And um, it's so awesome to have two dogs to hunt with. So we go different directions when we hunt. And she hunts with the old warrior, Angus, and... And he's still got a phenomenal nose, and he knows how to hunt. And so she's had actually more shots on point than I've had this season uh, hunting with Angus. And Pete's great, but he's he's still he's still learning. And um, so you know, uh, a couple of weeks ago she killed her first chucker, and that was a wonderful moment. Um, because, you know, she'd been trying since mid-September and it was, what, mid, almost mid-November before she got her first checker, which is pretty good. Uh, I, I've been taking yeah. this kid <clears throat> who started hunting with me when he was a little, no, he was 10 when he started hunting with me and it took him four seasons to get his first checker. And this is a really badass kid. This kid is a, he's a rancher <clears throat> kid, super fit. Um, really diehard kid, but he could never get in position on a point to to really get a good shot. But Leslie figured that out pretty quickly. And there's there's on one of my blogs. There's a there's a video of opening day and Leslie's first shot on point. And she falls on her ass while she's taking the shot. The bird busts and she falls down and she, she, it's. <laughs> It's comical. Um, Welcome but it's, to Chucker Hunting, though, right? Exactly, exactly. So, 
anyway, it just it's just been very moving to me to have um, the woman I love, you know, want to do this and be successful at it and figure it out. And um, the only drawback is that we're not getting as much video as we. I really like making videos of our hunts, and people are starting to send me, hey, when's your next video going to be ready? So um, we're not really getting much video footage. So Leslie's too busy hunting. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's that's really, I mean, it's cool. Um, I think it speaks volumes. You know, it's, it's I, like, wanted to highlight it because, again, you know, it's, she didn't start when she was, she was a, you know, a young girl. I mean, she got just this, made the decision she was going to get into it and obviously you know you need mentors and you need people to help you out but but if you have the if you've got the drive and the motivation and attitude i mean anybody can do it really and and it's uh opens up a whole new world of opportunities so it's very cool it is it it, it is it, the the chucker she shot was um she killed it outright um but the next weekend she was hunting alone. She she winged a hunt, a Hungarian partridge, and uh, Angus brought it back to her, and it was still totally alive. And that was her biggest fear was that she would have to kill a bird that was alive. And um, yep. I was not there, um, and she just did it. And she she had the method, and she did it. And I'm just really proud of her. That, that yeah. not you know not that she's going around killing things, but that she's she's facing this challenge and and doing it the right way yeah yep exactly yeah, i think you think you nailed it there it's it's not running from it just taking full responsibility for what you're doing and, and yeah and and just doing it yeah yeah very cool well that's awesome Bobby. we talked about a lot of stuff i uh appreciate you coming on any do you have any uh any closing thoughts i mean on anything really as far as uh Chucker hunting people that have never gone before, they're interested in it. Anything uh, thing you want to add here? Um, well, uh, I think everyone should try chucker hunting, but I, but I really hope everyone doesn't because I think if everyone tries it, that means that there's going to be a lot more people doing it. And <laughs> I might run into somebody else and I – that's one of the things I love about it is that you don't run into a lot of people. I don't like conflicts with people with guns, and so chucker hunting is kind of the perfect perfect hunting uh, uh, for that kind of mindset. So, um, But that being said, if you really like wild places and you like great views and you like good exercise and you like working with dogs, it's uh, I can't think of anything better. Cool. Awesome. And uh, we mentioned it earlier, but, but chuckerculture.com, that's your blog. That's where people can find out more about, you know, what you do out there. And, and, and there's lots of information on there. You know, there's videos, there's there's pictures, there's reviews, all kinds of stuff on there. So people uh, should certainly feel free to check that out. And I'm sure they could contact you through that website if they had questions, all that stuff too. Yeah, absolutely. I have, I have some really really nice hats and shirts and uh, and a book now on on my website so you can buy all that online check it out excellent good deal well uh like i said bob i really appreciate you joining us on the project upland podcast uh it's been a pleasure 
Uh, hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again soon, and then uh, wish you the best of luck through the rest of your hunting season, and and wish you a happy Thanksgiving tomorrow as we're re- recording this the day before Thanksgiving. Thank you very much, Nick. It was a pleasure talking to you. I hope we can meet someday out on the on the hill. Absolutely, I would enjoy that and uh, appreciate it, Bob. Take care. All right, you too. Thanks. All right, see ya. Hey everybody, Nick Larson with the Project Upland Podcast. Just wanted to take a second to thank you again for listening to this episode of the show and remind you that, as always, we are brought to you by our friends at Pine Ridge Krause Camp. As always, we appreciate your feedback. Please don't hesitate to contact us via projectupland.com or by emailing me directly at nick.larson at northwoodscollective.com. Hope you enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.